One of the things that I remember when I was a, a kid as maybe a little different as an adult, maybe, maybe not, maybe we still have this uh, confusion a little bit, but there was always a little bit of confusion as a kid between the difference uh, of a want and a need. And I don't know if your, your children mix that up every once in a while or you yourself mix it up when you were a child. Uh, you know, you go into the grocery store and there's all those things that are for sale right by the cashier. And why do they put all of those chocolate bars and candies and chips and either there's pop there now? Why do they have all those things sitting right there by the cashier? Because you've just spent the last hour shopping telling your kid, no, you can't have that. No, you can't have that. No, you can't have that. And by the time you get there, you're just a broken shell of what you were. And so you give in and you say, okay, fine, you can have that chocolate bar that's on sale. And that's why they have them there, right? So the, the child, though, says, I need this. I need this. I, I need to have this candy. And what they really mean is what? I want. I want this candy. I want to have that. And there's a difference between the two. There's a difference uh, between the need and the want. We understand that, right? We, we know that. Uh, that doesn't mean we aren't convinced otherwise. It doesn't mean we don't have it mixed up. And I can think of lots of times as a child where I, I was convinced that I needed something. I needed to have it. I had to have it. It was the only way that life would go on is if I had it. And yet the simple truth is that I just wanted it. And often, sometimes uh, when I got that, whatever that was that I needed so badly, once I had that, what did I discover? That I didn't actually need it. right? In fact, it went by the wayside fairly quickly. And I moved on to something else that I needed more than even the last thing that I needed so badly. This isn't a, a child's dilemma. I think we live in a society that also has this mixed up. And there are many that, that go around thinking that there are certain needs, there are certain things that we have to have, there are certain rights that we should, we should have when what they really say is we, we want these things. That we're, we're programmed to think that, that we need them, but really it is, it is a want. Today is one of the days uh, on the calendar where there will be more money probably spent on advertising today than any other actual day of the year. More money spent on advertising today. In fact, if you're going to watch uh, the Super Bowl later, um, lots of people I know don't care for football at all and simply watch to watch the commercials. Because it's the one day of the year where the commercials are not the same as they are every other day. They're brand new, they're funny, and you're programmed to watch them. And out of that programming then is the need for what you see. And millions and millions of dollars are given into this art of convincing you that you need something. That you'll need this product to fill something now do you actually need that do you actually need to get your insurance at geico because geico spends millions and millions and millions of dollars every year at the super bowl to convince you that you do well i mean even if you wanted it you're you're out of luck here anyway but they, they spend that all the time
we don't have uh, we don't have TV at our house. Um, we have other things that we watch, Netflix and things. But we go to a hotel, we go somewhere, and it's interesting to me how excited the boys are to watch commercials. They're like, we don't get to watch commercials at home. It's like, yeah, but that's kind of the point. You don't have to. Don't have to watch the commercials. We used to hate it as kids watching the commercials, and now they want that. They they want to see that, and and there's so much that goes into it. Programming us, you know, the world isn't just about commercials, and yet Satan has spent the entire history of the world trying to convince us of things that we need. Just think about it. Even from all the way back into Adam and Eve. He's trying to convince them that they need something different than what God provides. Right? That's, that's one of the very first lies that he tells us, that you actually you do need to eat of that tree. You do need it because, because God has misinformed you. God has lied to you. God isn't telling you the whole truth. And if you can move on from that and come over to here and eat of this, then you'll know more. You need to do this. And they're convinced of it, right? They're convinced of it to the point... Where they do, they turn their back on what God has said and they, and they go apart from that. Because they're convinced that they need that. They're convinced that that's the right move. They're convinced that it's the right thing to do. Was it? Well, obviously we see that it wasn't. We see that uh, history tells us over and over and over again as it repeats itself that turning away from God is not the right thing to do. Being convinced that there's a need beyond what God provides is not the right thing to do. Now, in a physical sense, we understand that there's, there's needs, right? There's, there, there's, we could probably list uh, all the kind of common things that we can think of. These are the, the needs that we have to, in order to survive today, right? Uh, some of them you'll do without even thinking. Uh, some of them you'll have to actually think about it. All of us are breathing, Right? Hate to make that joke and then it not be true. Um, all of us are all of us are breathing, so we do that involuntarily. We don't even have to stop and think about it. It just it just happens until it's not happening, and then you really actually do think about it. But it just happens, right? Now, there's also other needs. You're you're all going to have something to drink today because you can't go very long without without having something to drink. Uh, you can go a little longer without food, but you need you need food as well, right? Um, you can go, like I said, you can go a little longer stretch without food, but your body starts to tell you that you're hungry, starts to inform you that you need to, to eat. So there's, in a physical sense, we're aware that the body can't survive without some crucial elements. It's just common sense, right? We know that, right? Even, uh, even from birth, one of the reasons that babies will, will cry as loud as they cry is why? Because they're hungry, right? They, they want to be fed. They, they have this instinct from birth uh, to be fed. And so we understand that, and that's fine. But today I don't want to talk about the, the physical needs as much as I would like us to focus on uh, the essentials of life, the things that we actually need in order to have uh, a spiritual life, in order to be on the right track spiritually, on the things that we actually need in order to be at peace with God. We are all created in the likeness of our Creator. In His image. We have an eternal soul. And as we think about that, we understand, in order for that, that to be true in the, in the essence of that it's going to be given over to life, we have to then be at peace 
with our God. We are going to have an eternity regardless of what we do in this world. Right? We grasp that? That we are created to be eternal. Now, there's going to be a a vast difference between the eternity of life and the eternity of death. Now, again, sometimes we get, we've talked about this before, but sometimes we get mixed up in thinking that death is an end to life, that death is the the end of that life. And when we're talking about how we were created, death is not then the end, but it is a separation. It is a separation from God. And so we will, we will be eternal. It will either be eternity close to God in life or it will be eternity separated from God in death. So how do we then have the essentials of, of life? Thinking about our, our spiritual lives. How do we have life then as opposed to being given over uh, into death? First we have to understand one thing. That Christ is the giver of life. There is no other way to come to God except through Christ Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is our Savior. There is absolutely no other way. Real life, the life that is this newness of life, the life that is full, that is eternal, only comes through a connection or a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the only way, 100% the only way. There isn't even a fraction of another way. It is only through Christ Jesus. Turn into Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So, this passage leaves no doubt as to what Christ has done, but it also tells for us and gives us the, the miracle of what Christ has done for us, the transformation from death to life. We die to sin. All of us, each and every one, we, we have to understand this, we have to be able to accept this, that we have died because of our own sin. Sin leads to death. But at the same time, we also understand and know that Christ died for sin. Once and for all, Christ died for sin. So now whose sin did he die for? He died for the sins of all mankind, right? There is no other sacrifice needed for anyone else in the world. Now, obviously, on a personal level, we know that Christ died for us, for me, for, for me individually. We can all say that. 
But he died for the entire world. That God came for those who were lost, those who were, who were dead to their transgressions, dead to their sins. And he died for them. And that's us. But it's also the, the world. Now, that doesn't mean the entire world is going to end up experiencing the grace that comes from that death. Because there is a reaction that we have to have, right? And it talks about it here. That we are connected to him, how? When we are baptized into his death. When we understand that we have died because of our own sins, and at the same time recognize and understand that Jesus has also died for our sins, and we come to him with faith and obedience, and are baptized then to connect us, our sins, and hand them over to him, connecting our death to his. And his death does what for our sins? Now, the wages of sin is always going to be death. And so when our sins are handed over to him, what does he do? Well, we know that we have been washed clean, right? We have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus, our Savior. And that's what he does. He, he has died so that when we are connected to him into his death, we can also then be what? Raised into life. Again, when we're talking about spiritual life, it's the only way to have this life that goes on and is eternal is to be connected to the one who has died for our sins. Because again, we're remembering that all sin, the wages for that is death. There is going to be death for sin. And the only way that it won't be our death, the only way that it won't be our death eternal, is if we hand that over to Christ on the cross, and are baptized into his death, and raised into life that he provides. It is only through Christ Jesus. You know, the world, again, Satan is selling us this idea over and over and over again that don't worry, you've got it figured out, you can do this on your own. And there will be lots of reasons, there will be lots of excuses, there will be lots of thoughts that go through people's brains to say, oh, it's okay, I'll wait, or I have a decision to make, or, or I'll do it later, or I'll have this, or I'll have that, I have all this other stuff going on in my life. And the reality is that all of that is a sales pitch to keep you away from making the choice that leads to life. Because Satan is a deceiver and a liar and wants you to die. To put it bluntly. He knows his fate. And wants to take as many as he can with him. The only way we can have this life, this newness of life, is through Christ. And then the life that we have is one that has been freed from sin. That we are freed from sin. Are we still going to make mistakes? Yeah, and that's kind of what uh, Paul is talking about here in Romans is to don't continue to make them on purpose. Don't continue to live in sin. Don't continue to live in sin to say, well, the more I sin, the, the greater grace will be. In, in fact, the call is to do the opposite of that. Understand how detrimental sin is and how you've been freed from sin and live in it no longer. Because once we have been baptized into his death and raised into life, we were freed from sin. So that we're no longer then under the punishment of that sin. 
And when we do make mistakes, we come back to God and we repent of those things and allow that grace to wash us clean and we allow ourselves to be at a closeness to our God. But we have to make the decision here to live for Him. In John, we see that Jesus... uh, he makes a couple claims. And in two different uh, passages we're going to look at uh, in a minute here, he makes some claims about who he is and what he provides and how that relates to, to life. When Jesus is being tempted in Matthew, if you go through there and look at the, the temptations that, that Satan provides uh, Jesus, often what I think you'll see is that Satan is providing that which is temporary, that which is of a physical essence, and asking Jesus to sacrifice what? His closeness to God, right? The doing of God's will, that which is a spiritual closeness to God. And so he's, he says, okay, well, here, turn these uh, stones into, into bread because you're physically hungry. But he's asking him to sacrifice that which is doing the the will of God, which is a spiritual thing, a spiritual reaction. Now that spiritual reaction can see itself put forth in in physical actions, but it's a spiritual action. And so in Matthew chapter 4 he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By the very word of God, right? So his understanding is that we have to have this spiritual life. And seek first the kingdom of God and worry about the spiritual life that we have. And then, after that, have an awareness that we, are, we have physical. Now, did, did Jesus need to eat? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, he's there in a physical sense. In, in, to the point where it says that he's extremely hungry at that point, right? And after all of the temptation, he's going, he's ministered, and, and Jesus spends time eating. So he needs to eat. But more importantly, is the spiritual So in John chapter 6, if you'd like to turn there. In John chapter 6, starting in verse 28. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. Although the Father gives all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. I am 
the bread of life. Now, bread is not uh, the most nutritious of foods in a physical sense. And in fact, some of the bread you can buy now, I think is probably, I don't know what it's made of. It's not great. You know, you get that, that pure white bread that's really, really cheap. And it, in fact, to the point where there's signs up at most places saying, don't feed the birds this bread. Why? Because they'll eat their fill and what will happen? Yeah, it's not pretty, but it, their stomachs expand to the point where they can't eat anything else, and then they aren't getting enough nutrients. That, that bread doesn't, it doesn't provide enough for life. Now, again, man cannot live on bread alone. It, but what do they live on instead? Jesus said, man can't live on bread alone, but on the very words of God. So then when he says, I am the bread of life, what is he saying? Is he talking about a spiritual thing or a physical thing? Obviously, he's talking about a spiritual thing, that his bread that he provides, who he is, what he provides is enough for life. That he has come to do the will of the Father. That he is doing the will of the Father. And that means that he came to make us whole. To make it so that we are redeemed. As an example for us, not only to save us by his sacrifice, but as an example for us that it is more important for us to do the will of the Father than it is to gorge ourselves on food. Though we will probably all eat our fill today. And that's fine. There's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But we seek first the kingdom of God so that we are driven to do what? So that we are driven to do the will of the Father that leads to eternal life. I often wonder how much thought we put into what our day is going to look like. Now, I know there's some, some people that are extremely organized that have their day all planned out. And there's some people on the other end of the spectrum that say, today's a brand new day, we'll see what's going to happen. And have no thought into it at all. And that's fine. I mean, there's, there's the organized and there's the, the unorganized, and I fit somewhere on one end of the scale. But the thought process in all of them should be the same. And, and I think that we have to be aware of this. That we are intended to do the will of the Father. How often when we think of Jesus do we equate that to what Jesus did? I mean, often, right? We think about Jesus, and, and Jesus did the will of the Father. We think about him in the garden, right? And he's asking about uh, if there's any other way or take this cup from me, and he did what instead? But not my will, but yours be done. Often, that's how we think of Jesus, as doing the will of the Father, because that's why he came, to do the will of the Father. So then why would we then, who take on the name of Christ, not equate our life the same? Well, we should, that we are here to do the will of the Father, which leads to eternal life, to the point where it says that he will come and will be raised up at the last day. That we who do the will of the Father will have this opportunity then to be with him because he is the bread of life. And spiritually we will have life. And when we're raised up at that last day, it will be to be with him. 
Not leading to death, but leading to life. So that we'll never go hungry again. What does it mean then that we can have the bread of life so that we will never be hungry again if this is a spiritual thing? Do we know people who are searching? Do you know people who are, who are longing to fill their lives with something of importance? To feel like life makes sense or to feel like life is in some kind of order? Because they often feel like it's just chaos or it doesn't make sense. What are they doing? Are they not searching? Are they not hungering for something that provides life? They are. Our world is. You know, we talked about at the very beginning about this idea of advertising, that Satan is, is trying to convince us that there's things that we need. Why do we fall prey to that? Well, partly because we're weak, but, but because we're searching. Why, why does advertising work? Because there's a part of us that says, you know, if I actually had this, life would be great. There's, there's a part of us that has fallen prey to the, the scam of advertising. That if you have this shampoo, your hair is going to look so amazing for the rest of your life that everything will go good. You'll show up at work and everything will just be better than the day before because you used this brand of shampoo. That's what commercials say. That's what advertising says. Is it true? I would hazard a guess that no, it is not. In fact, most of you could probably switch shampoos this week, and I wouldn't notice next week. In fact, most of us wouldn't notice next week if you had switched shampoos this week. So, is advertising real? Is what Satan trying to sell us real? No, that... that that's the whole scam of it. That we want to be this, right? We want to be doing the will of the Father because we know that the will of the Father leads to eternal life, that we'll be raised up with Him on the last day to be ushered into life, to go to this place that Jesus has gone to prepare for us. Instead of falling prey to what Satan has said, well, you need this, and this is so important right here, right now. But it leads to death. It drives a wedge between us and God. But we must come to him who is the bread of life. If you go back in John, in John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, it says this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whatever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring 
of water welling up to eternal life. The living water. Jesus is the living water. And if we drink from it, we will never go thirsty again. Again, it is this call for us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to come to him and partake in what he offers so that we can have life, a spiritual life. So Jesus asks for a drink. She responds with, okay, but I'm a, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. How can this possibly be? And Jesus answered her in verse 10 and says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks for you for a drink, you would have asked for something else, right? If you had only known. Do we know what God offers? Do we truly know what it is that God is offering us right now? When it comes to the bread of life, when it comes to living water, when it comes to what Jesus has done on the cross, the giver of, of life, do we actually understand what it is that Christ is offering, what God is offering? Do we really know what the relationship between God and us should look like? Or is there confusion? Is there confusion about what uh, blessings are? Is there confusions about uh, what hell is actually like? What heaven is actually like? Is there confusion about, about the timing of things? Is, is there this wedge that Satan is trying to put in between us that says it's okay to wait or it's okay because you know hell is only this. It's not really that bad. That's not the reality. Open up God's word and begin to see what it says about hell, about eternal punishment, about heaven about our sins and what that does. And know, and know what it is that God offers and what God has done for us. And know the truth of it. He says to the Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Did she recognize who Jesus was? Did she recognize what Jesus could do? Well, no, and that's what he says to her. If you had seen this, if you had only known, there would have been another offer for you, for living water. No, he doesn't take that off the table. He just says you would have seen it. Sometimes I think we get confused. and Confused because I think Satan wants us to be confused. Between what it is that are physical blessings what it is when it comes to hell, when it is all those things, because he wants us to be warring against ourselves. And he wants the physical to be warring against the spiritual. He wants us to be convinced that the things that we have here in a physical sense outweigh or are more important than the spiritual. Talked earlier about uh, kids... Uh, asking for a chocolate bar or chips or all those things when you get. And I would always uh, tell my kids, because <laughs> I was mean, apparently, uh, no. The answer is absolutely no. And so when they were little, you know, there's the natural reaction uh, around certain ages when they're, they're trying to figure out their own personalities and trying to figure out a little bit of their own independence, where they think, well, if I throw a fit right here, there's no way that he won't cave and give me that chocolate bar. And they learned very early on that I am extremely mean because 
if they threw a fit, then the answer was absolutely no. I mean, absolutely no, to the point where I'm putting stuff back out of the cart that you wanted because you're throwing this fit. So the understanding there is that what they want and what they need are two different things, but their actions are more important to me than these other things. Now you can throw the fit, you're not going to get what you want. If you, if you act the way that God wants us to, if, if we actually respond in a manner that is pleasing to God, then what happens? Then we actually get what we want. And that is to be alive and to have life and to have this newness of life and hope and joy and contentment. And a closeness to God. Does that change how the physical will look? And herein lies some of the trap that Satan, I think, puts out. Because I think even some in, in the Christian world, he puts out the lie that says, well, if you really have a closeness to God, God's going to bless you tremendously, and you will be healthier, you'll be happier, you'll be wealthier. And all of these things that, that part of your heart really desires will come true. That there's a connection to, if you're really spiritual, then you'll really get in a physical sense all of the things you want. We spent a long time, so I'm pretty sure all of you got to touch on some of it. We spent a long time studying the book of Job. Could you convince Job that because he was doing everything right, that everything went right? Well, go back and read through the book of Job. And that's the exact argument that his friends make, right? You've lost everything because in some way you've sinned. That there's a connection between the two. And he over and over and over again makes the argument, I am righteous. I am, I am blameless before God. There is no connection between all this that I have lost and my spiritual connection with God. And yet that's the, the lie that will, Satan will tell. Now, if we are being blessed physically or we have a certain degree of wealth we have a certain degree of health or happiness does that necessarily mean that we're doing everything right spiritually well there's plenty of people that have a great deal of wealth and power and fame and good looks that have no idea what it is to be living a life in connection or to peace with god so no the desire should always be for us to have this righteousness, this peace with God, to be blameless before God because of Christ Jesus, and to live this life freed from sin, understanding and knowing then that whatever happens in the physical world, whatever happens in life, that we are to be living a life of faith. And there'll be ups, there'll be downs, there'll be good and there'll be bad, there'll be all of the things in between, and yet all of them should be lived in such a way where we seek first the kingdom of God. And turn to the Lord. We cannot rely on the things of this world for happiness or contentment or hope or peace or joy because they will all fade away. Just stop and think about it for a minute. Stop and think about any physical thing and then think about how long that's going to last. So if you put your hope in that, how long is it going to last? When I was, you know, around 
15, 16, I really wanted a truck. Really, really badly. Now, I eventually kind of changed my mind and didn't end up getting my license until I was like 18, so a truck would have been useless. But I really, really thought that if I had a truck, it would be great. Now, I've had a truck, and then I sold it for scrap metal. I won't say what kind of truck it was, but I had a truck, and then I sold it for scrap metal. How long did that truck last? I mean, okay, so you say, well, trucks, that's a, that's a terrible argument. How about this relationship that I have here? This person is, is steadfast and true, and it's always going to be great. <laughs> well, uh, it's, that may be true, that you may live the rest of your life with that person, but it's not always going to be great. It's going to be rocky. There's going to be good times, bad times. There's going to be things. And, and, and you may not live the rest of your life with that person. Anything you can think of in a physical sense, as great as it may seem at the best of times, it may not be that. Turn to the Lord. Understand the need to have a relationship with Him is so much more important Come to Jesus, who is the giver of life. Be baptized into his death so you can be raised into life. And you will never go hungry or thirsty again. I want to finish by reading in John chapter 10. If you'd like to turn to John chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 7. John 10, starting in verse 7, it says, Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it up from me or no one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. 